When inevitably things don't go as planned, when we don't meet the attainable high standard, when we miss one question out of a hundred, it causes this guilt because we didn't hit that mark or worse, it causes shame because not hitting that mark means we aren't perfect and therefore aren't enough. Welcome to a different practice. I'm your host, Lauren Lester, and I'm obsessed with all things business, well-being, and optimizing the practice of law for solo and small firm lawyers. I started my solo practice right out of law school, built it from the ground up, and now work four days a week while earning well over six figures. I'm here to share tangible, concrete tips and resources for ditching the legal profession's antiquated approach and building a law practice that optimizes growth and enjoyment. Think of this as grabbing coffee with your work bestie, mixed with all the stuff they didn't teach you in law school about how to run a business. Pull up a seat, grab a cup, and get ready to be encouraged and challenged. This is a different practice. Today we're diving into something many of us as lawyers struggle with, perfectionism. Now perfectionism and I have a long history. It's in my DNA really. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a one which historically has been called the perfectionist. As the Enneagram Institute describes, ones are always striving to improve things, but afraid of making a mistake. This fear, which is what perfectionism has really boiled down to for me, has been a constant whisper in my head since I can remember. I've struggled with it my entire life. In school, if there was a test of 100 questions, say, and I got 99 right, Did I focus on the 99? Of course not. I focused on the one that was wrong. In fact, that one wrong answer to me invalidated the 99 that were right. As a lawyer, perfectionism looks like agonizing over every word in a pleading because there's got to be one perfect way to say what I want to say. Then it's beating myself up for not having those perfect words just roll off my fingertips. Perfectionism's grip means I can take an insanely long time to write anything because I analyze and reanalyze every word, every sentence, every paragraph. Once I finally got something down on paper, this process continues as I review the draft dozens upon dozens of times. It's beyond a review for clarity and typos. It really turns into this monster of self-doubt and self-criticism. The same thing happens even with emails, something as seemingly innocuous as emails, especially if they're to another attorney who hasn't been so shy about vocalizing their criticism. It even comes up when I'm not lawyering, but marketing my business. I second guess my website content, social posts, and even my silly TikTok videos because I think they're just not quite perfect. It's exhausting. As the years have gone by and I've seen how much perfectionism has robbed me of energy, truly celebrating wins, and keeping a healthy perspective, I've looked for ways to make a change. At a certain point, it just wasn't worth the stress that it causes. If this is resonating with you, stick with me. I'll share the practical, hands-on ways I've loosened the grip of perfectionism in my life. But before we jump in there, I wanted to start with some brief definitions to help paint a more inclusive picture of perfectionism. My experience is one, but there are definitely other ways that it can show up. Merriam-Webster defines perfectionism as a disposition to regard anything short of perfection as unacceptable. 
Another definition I came across that really resonated with me was having excessively high standards and being overly self-critical. Yep, that feels pretty on the nose. In a 2009 study, Thomas Curran and Andrew Hill looked at the rise in perfectionism in people born between 1989 and 2016. What I found most interesting was how they categorized perfectionism into three different types, self-oriented, socially prescribed, and other-oriented perfectionism. Self-oriented perfectionism is when we attach an irrational importance to being perfect, have unrealistic expectations of ourselves, and see self-evaluations as punitive rather than constructive. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here when I say that many of us lawyers probably fall into this category. Now, socially prescribed perfectionism is when we believe that our social context is excessively demanding, such that we feel that others are judging us harshly, so we must be perfect to ultimately accept and gain their approval. The last type, other-oriented perfectionism, is when we impose our unrealistic standards on everyone else and then evaluate them critically against those standards. Even if you don't identify with having self-oriented perfectionism like I do, I think there's an undercurrent of the socially prescribed perfectionism within the legal profession. Most of us would probably agree that there's context around being a lawyer that is excessively demanding. We feel others, whether it's colleagues or the public, they judge us harshly if we don't live up to an exceptionally high standard. So we try to achieve perfection so we'll be accepted by and gain the approval of others. Only then are we maybe a real lawyer. When you couple socially prescribed perfectionism with self-oriented perfectionism, it's a real fun party. For me, it has felt like an enormous amount of pressure at best and completely debilitating in the worst moments. It's often not a path I would voluntarily choose to ride down. I wish I could care less or let the exposure of a mistake roll off my back like it's nothing, but it's just not how I'm built. I've had people tell me, well, just get over it. They say, no one's perfect. You shouldn't care. It's unrealistic to be truly perfect, so let it go. While these responses likely come from a place of wanting to help, for me personally, they're anything but helpful. To just stop doing something that is innately part of who I am is just not realistic. It's not helpful advice. That's why the title of this podcast isn't letting go of perfectionism, but instead loosening its grip. I recognized how striving towards the highest standards has actually served me well in a lot of ways. There are positives that make me and many of us good at our jobs as lawyers. That striving towards high standards has been a large part of getting us to where we are. For example, being detail-oriented allows us to issue spot and make nuanced, tactical arguments. It helps us manage a client's matter and categorize different aspects of a case into an organized approach. Many times cases hinge on a single detail, or there may be just one opportunity to actually make a case. It's not often we get several bites at the apple, so to advocate for our clients in the strongest way, we have to show up and present at a very high level when it matters most. It takes a tremendous amount of skill to do this, and in many ways, the commitment to an exceptional standard helps us get there. 
Because I see how that commitment to excellence and the attention to detail that is innate and baked into perfectionism has served me and pushed me to achieve things that I might not have otherwise, I don't just want to let perfectionism go. Plus, like I said, it's part of who I am. It would be like cutting off my arm. It's just not an option to let it go completely. That being said, I also see the negative effects that perfectionism has had on me and my health. It creates an unrelenting pressure that just never lets up. When perfection is the expectation, there's nowhere to go other than to be more perfect. When inevitably things don't go as planned, when we don't meet the attainable high standard, when we miss one question out of a hundred, it causes this guilt because we didn't hit that mark. Or worse, it causes shame because not hitting that mark means we aren't perfect and therefore aren't enough. Tying our worth to a perfect outcome, especially in the legal profession where oftentimes the outcome is something we have zero control over, isn't a healthy recipe. We aren't ever able to move forward because we're always stuck trying to reach for something that isn't there. It can also be really attractive to try and use quality as an excuse and a way to hide behind perfectionism. I know I have fallen into this trap many times and didn't realize it until someone pointed it out to me. I'll tell myself that, well, I can't put something out there because it's not quality yet. Therefore, I have to keep working on it. I have to keep tinkering on it. It makes the inertia of perfectionism just a little bit easier to accept. On a recent podcast, Seth Godin talked about the meaning of the word quality and where it actually comes from. By definition, it simply means to spec. So in other words, does the thing do what it was designed to do? For lawyers, this might look like, does the pleading identify the client's position and how it's supported by the facts in the law? Does the email to the other lawyer request the needed documents? Does the engagement agreement explain what's included in the scope of the representation? As long as the thing meets the spec, it should be ready to send out. Could it be made better? Probably. But that's why it's called the practice of law. So next time you draft a pleading, it'll be slightly better. You'll get better the more that you do it. The next time you send an email, it will come easier. And the next engagement will certainly incorporate any necessary changes that you identify. Reframing perfectionism as a commitment to truly do quality work, work to spec, and to continue to improve it thereof makes it a positive tool that can be harnessed to do great things. That's why my goal isn't to let go of perfectionism, but to simply loosen its grip. I understand how it serves me and how I can use it to be productive. I also recognize that there needs to be room for flexibility, creativity, and ultimately mistakes, errors, and failures, because that's all a part of the process too. So here are the five things I've done to work on loosening the grip of perfectionism. First, I started with a simple mantra, something I could repeat to myself when I felt the stranglehold of perfectionism start to get tighter. I knew I wouldn't be able to loosen it overnight, so instead I wanted to slowly chip away at it. For me, that was by saying, progress over perfection, progress over perfection, progress over perfection. I said it over and over. It felt strange at first, and to be honest, not true, (laughs) but I trusted that if I said it enough, it would start to become more familiar and I'd start to believe it. And sure enough, that happened. Another mantra that you could use might be trust the process, or done is better than perfect, or simply a reminder that you're just making it to spec. 
if that idea of quality resonated with you. Choose something that feels right and then try it for a while. If it doesn't fit, change it. The next thing I did to help loosen the grip of perfectionism was to reframe when someone pointed out a mistake as an opportunity to be grateful rather than an opportunity to beat myself up. If I sent a draft to opposing counsel that I read through a dozen times, but missed somewhere that it said martial instead of marital, or I inverted numbers like listing the value at 750,000 instead of 570,000, and opposing counsel points it out and corrects it, I'll say something like, thanks for catching that. Because the thing is, mistakes happen. We're human. We mistype or have wrong information sometimes. It happens to all of us no matter how careful or detail-oriented we are. Saying thank you instead of feeling ashamed means the feedback was helpful and that the reframing of the situation changes it from highlighting a mistake to making it a collaboration that made the product better. If anything else, think of it this way. Would you rather someone tell you about the mistake so you can correct it on the draft or allow you to send in the final version with it still in there? As embarrassing as the moment might be to have someone say, hey, you missed this. There's a mistake in here. It's far better than the feeling when we file something and realize there's a mistake that we just can't correct. There's no taking it back at that point. It's kind of like walking around with toilet paper stuck on your shoe. We want someone to tell us, even though it's a little embarrassing, and we should appreciate it when they do. As a bonus, if you're dealing with a particularly critical person who seems to take almost joy in pointing out others' mistakes, responding with thank you instead of embarrassment tends to take the sting out of their criticism and keeps you on equal footing. Along the lines of working with others, the third tool that's helped me loosen the grip of perfectionism is to remind myself that most people further along in their journey will provide feedback from a place of compassion and wanting to help, not from a place of being critical or trying to embarrass you. They understand what it's like to be a new lawyer or to send an email with a mistake in it to an opposing counsel you're trying to impress or to include a typo in a brief. They've been there and they have empathy for what it's like. They typically will point out edits or make suggestions because they're trying to help, not because they're trying to be patronizing. All that's to say, if someone's feedback has an undertone of being condescending, it's not because they're better than you, but because they probably feel really insecure. Lean into the support from those who get it and try not to let those who don't dictate how you feel. You're doing your best and those who get it will be supportive of that. I was able to loosen the grip of perfectionism more also after reading The Gap and the Gain by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Benjamin Hardy, which is my fourth tool. Their perspective is that most people, especially those of us who are ambitious and high achievers, can be unhappy because of how we measure progress. We tend to have an ideal that we're working towards, but that ideal is a moving target that's always out of reach. Dan Sullivan and Dr. Hardy argue that when we measure ourselves against the ever-elusive ideal, we're in the gap. However, when we measure ourselves against our previous selves, we're in the gain. This shift in perspective helped me tremendously. Instead of comparing where I was to some far-off ideal that always moved just a little bit further and further away... I looked back to see how far I'd come, and that was a true accomplishment. Had everything been done perfectly? Absolutely not. But man, I had come a long way. 
A simple exercise to practice this skill is to think back to your first days of law school. Remember those? I don't know if you read the Harry Hand case and contracts, but I distinctly remember that was the first case we were assigned on the first day of class. And man, I held my breath so tight, hoping the professor would not call on me to analyze it in front of the whole class. I knew what the words were on paper, but I didn't have the first clue about how to read and analyze a case. I surely would have stumbled my way through that class, and I am so glad that I wasn't picked on. So sorry to my classmate who was. You did awesome. But today, I read through cases all the time without even thinking about it. I'll pull out the issue and rule like it's nothing. Am I the best legal scholar? No. Could my legal writing be improved? Absolutely. And if I compare myself to, say, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her ability to analyze and write, the distance or the gap does feel insurmountable. But when I compare where I am today to that first day of law school, it's night and day. I've gained so much from then until now. It's a tangible accomplishment I can see and feel. By recognizing and focusing on the gain, it helps me loosen the grip of perfectionism that's often found when we focus on the gap. Lastly, and this has become my favorite way to loosen the grip of perfectionism, is to have a hobby. Something you aren't doing for money or recognition or really any purpose other than enjoyment. It's not something you do because you have to or to fit in with a certain group. It's just something you do because it brings you joy. Having a hobby helps loosen the grip of perfectionism because when you're a total novice, when you just start something that you've never done before, you're typically terrible at it. And that's fantastic. Not being so great at something and continuing to do it simply because you enjoy doing it will help deflate the stronghold of perfectionism. It will build the muscle of enjoying the process, not getting caught up on the mistakes rather than focusing on the results. For me, I started gardening, relearning to play the guitar, learning Italian, and bullet journaling. Maybe you join a pickleball league, learn to crochet, start playing chess, join a bird watching club, make any kind of art, or sign up for your local theater or improv group. There's so much out there that you can do. Just find something that you've always wanted to do and go for it. It doesn't have to be something that's a big commitment or even takes up a ton of time. The point is to actually do the thing you've always wanted to do that brings you joy. Be crappy at something and love every minute of it. You might be surprised at how much it unexpectedly helps loosen the grip of perfectionism throughout your life. I know it has for me. So those are the five tools I use to loosen the grip of perfectionism. I will say it's definitely still a work in progress. And honestly, you're witnessing it in real time too. Creating and producing this podcast has been an act of rebellion against perfectionism for me. I can't tell you how much I fought against the voice that said, this is terrible, you should scrap the whole thing, you don't sound anything like other podcast hosts who know what they're doing, no one is going to listen to this. I fell into the trap of trying to argue that quality wasn't there, so I should just wait to put it out. I unfairly compared myself, someone just starting out, to podcast hosts that have hundreds of episodes under their belt. I thought of a million ways I could continue to tweak and change and redo in the name of making it better. But all I was really doing was just making excuses because I was afraid of being seen as not perfect. But here we are. You are listening to this podcast because I pushed through those fears and told perfectionism to go take a hike. 
Is this podcast perfect? Hell no. But do I show up and continue to move forward? Absolutely. Progress over perfection. If you struggle with perfectionism like I do, I hope you found this episode helpful. If nothing else, I hope you know that you're not alone. A lot of us struggle with this. Perfectionism has helped you in many, many ways, but it also doesn't define you. You are enough just as you are. Until next time, keep building. I'm over here giving you a virtual high five because you've just finished another episode of A Different Practice. For more from this episode, head over to adifferentpractice.com slash podcast for show notes and links to resources. If you found this episode helpful, let me know by leaving a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you're looking for even more practical tools to optimize your law practice for growth and enjoyment, be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletter. The link is waiting for you at a differentpractice.com slash subscribe. I can't wait for you to tune in next time. Until then, keep building a different practice.